Welcome to episode 77 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. It's our sixth annual holiday spooktacular, and this year we're going in a slightly different direction. Instead of our usual horror flick, we're watching Tim Burton's 1994 movie, Ed Wood, the film about a man who tried making scary pictures, made by a man who always sort of creeps people out. We haven't seen this movie in a while, but we were glad to have a chance to celebrate its 25th anniversary by watching it again. In the spirit of Ed Wood, the filmmaker, Ed Wood, the film, didn't make even a third of its budget back at the box office. Critics mostly liked the film, and the film earned two Oscars, one for Martin Landau as Best Supporting Actor, and one for Best Makeup, which completed Landau's transformation into Bela Lugosi. It was the second of many collaborations between Johnny Depp and Tim Burton, and for Depp, it was one more step further away from his reputation as a teen heartthrob. For Burton, it continued to establish him as a talented, though quirky, filmmaker who could tell stories of endearing outsiders. But does quirk get you very far in this town anymore? Or is Ed Wood so bad it's just bad? Keep listening. You couldn't tell me on the phone again? Well, I started thinking about what you were saying, about how your movies need to make a profit. Now, what is the one thing, if you put it in a movie, it'll be successful? Tits. No, better than that. A star. Ed, you must have me confused with David Selznick. I don't make major motion pictures. I make crap. Yes, but if you take that crap and put a star in it, then you've got something. Yeah, crap with a star. No, something better. Something impressive. Maybe the biggest moneymaker you've ever had. Fine, all right. You may be right, but it doesn't freaking matter. I can't afford a star, so what are we even talking about? All right. What if I told you you could have a star for $1,000? Who? Lugosi? Yes, Lugosi. Isn't he dead? No, he's not dead. He lives in Baldwin Hills. I met him recently, and he really wants to be in our movie. Why would Lugosi... All right, that is a clip from uh, the movie we are discussing for our sixth annual holiday spooktacular. Happy mm-hmm. holidays, Ryan. Happy holidays yeah. to you and yours. Uh huh. And, and so, the, in the clip, we have uh, Johnny Depp playing the titular, as you said last time, uh, character right. of this movie, mm-hmm. Ed Wood, mm-hmm. and he's pitching his next feature, or he's pitching his first. His, I think he's pitching just wanting to be hired yeah. for a script that's kind of floating around this B-movie studio. Uh, oh, yeah, there's Z-movie. Headed by a guy named Georgie, starring Mike Starr, who you may rec- remember from Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber, yeah. If that guy, he probably doesn't get recognized for anything else. Than Dumb and Dumber? Yeah. In fact, I think his name's like Joe in Dumb and Dumber. Probably. And he's Georgie yeah. here. So. And I think they eat angrily like in the same way so (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyways he's pitching that he should be the one to direct what eventually becomes glenn or glenda Uh and that he's got a star yeah bella lugosi who uh was not quite a star at that point anymore who uh who would that be now like i feel like in the 90s and i I think in film history you kind of understand a little bit about bella lugosi and uh, the difference between dracula bella lugosi and then like junkie bella lugosi yeah 
Is there anybody now you think that it would be analogous to? Wow, you're catching me off guard here. I, I know. I don't know. I didn't, uh, I didn't. You mean someone who's sort of like a star because they were something like Dracula or something right. like well, a character something like that, where, where like you could see somebody's if there was another Ed Wood who was just super impressed with. I think Quentin Tarantino well, has actually done it successfully. Yeah. <laughs> let me make let me make this case. Okay. Just an idea. Okay. Not anymore. But for a while, you could have said that about Michael Keaton mm. with Batman. And then it wasn't until Birdman mm-hmm. that his career was kind of uh, resurrected with Inuritu. Yeah, and then that kind of jump-started things. Yeah, because then after Birdman, it was like Spotlight. Maybe not as drastic, because I don't one, think he was you know on drugs or anything right. like that, like Bela Lugosi. One but. that kind of comes to mind, with the exception of Boogie Nights, is Burt Reynolds. Mm, yeah. Who, after Boogie Nights, he could have kind of gone on, but he ended up not and then uh if you look at burt reynolds like last 10 years of movies it's like oh wow that's kind of sad and i think aside from community you could say that maybe about chevy chase too yeah and i think what's common about lugosi reynolds and chevy chase not so much michael keaton but the three that you just you know that you the two you mentioned plus bill lugosi is they seem to be kind of their own worst enemies right like people like their idea of them and for whatever reason, it just seems like they, whether it's they, they're hard to work with or it seems like for whatever reason, Hollywood doesn't really seem to like them or want them to come back. Yeah, it seems, uh, it seems like any, they've been given chances like Boogie Nights, like Community, mm-hmm. and then didn't quite take the hint. Yeah, maybe Burt Reynolds is our, uh, is our guy. Is your guy. All right. Well, oh, by the way, uh, something that is definitely very spooky is the, the 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 haunting sound of your voice right now which yeah i think we need to uh let yeah. people know so they're not like too freaked out well uh yeah i'm working on my orson wells impression <laughs> yeah how's it going uh you tell me i mean i got good ahead a deeper people. voice yeah yeah my idea of orson wells impression is not the brain from animaniacs it's the orson wells commercial they did where he was selling fish sticks <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I do. Animaniacs. <laughs> how did they? What, how did, did they, they make think? that show popular to kids? Why did? Yeah, and I was like, I, I, no, who, I, I loved no it. Clue. I, I had loved no clue that who show. Orson Welles was, and I still thought that was so funny. Yeah, whoever this guy is, they're doing a great job parodying. And they had a song that had Mickey Rooney in it, and I <laughs> like would sing that. I'm like, I don't know who the Mickey whole, Rooney. Yeah, is. George Went and Beans. Yeah. I mean, now I get that. That's yeah. pretty funny, but yeah, yeah. Um, Anyways, yeah, so I do have a spooky voice. It's you, spooky. you kind of chilling. You also kind of have the same. Uh, I'm getting over it, though. I'm, I think I'm further along cold. than you are uh, uh, in that. This is also a can we still be friends tradition? Yeah, me having a, a sick sounding voice, but it never stops us. No, the show must go on. People say it should. People say it makes it hard to listen to. Uh huh. Gotta turn the bass down on the stereo. It's a little gross. <laughs> we say. We are professionals. I'll say it once, and I'll say it again. The, sh- the show must go on. And I think I'm the only person who's ever said that, because we are that dedicated to the that show. phrase, yes. yeah. Like we say, tis the season. Tis the season. And so, you know, I, thought, I wanted to wait until we got a little bit into the episode to, to talk about it, because I thought, this is great. We're actually scaring people right yeah, now. Yeah, right. Like, let's, let's, let's And then I was like, all right, all right, all right. right. Up, it's yeah. a little too tense. Let's just, you know, kind of yeah. pull back the curtain. Yeah. That, yeah. it's, that's all it is, guys. Yep. Ryan just, just has a little cold. Just illness. Calm down. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. 
And now we should probably get into our episode. <laughs> we probably should. All right. Everybody's relaxed now. Take a breath. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the movie Ed Wood before we maybe get into the person of Ed Wood and how he is portrayed here. Yeah. Uh, what's your experience with Ed Wood, the movie? Well, I, I own this movie, and I'm not entirely certain why. And I saw it, yeah, probably in college. It's not a very remarkable story. I saw it. I've seen it a couple times. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every time I've seen it, I've liked it a little bit less each time. Okay. So you didn't see it when it came out, because this is 25 years, yeah, 94. No. You weren't seeing it in 94. No. College would be like mid-2000s-ish. Right. Yeah. Four-star letterbox That's rating. What, that was what it was. Um, well, okay, then that's a simple enough story. I don't think mine's all that different, really. I did not see this when it came out. I do remember seeing commercials for it, though. Mm-hmm. And like seeing, I think I even watched the original like Siskel and Ebert review of this movie. Yeah, I feel like I remember a lot about it when it came out. Yeah. It, what was weird to me at the time, even as a kid, was that it was a contemporary movie, but it was black and white. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, and I, I didn't really hear much about it afterwards until that period that you're kind of talking about when you know, you're getting into film in college and post-college and you're trying to catch up. It wasn't like there was any top 10 list that said I needed to see it. It was just sort of one of those where it's like, I've always been a Tim Burton fan. Mm-hmm. I never saw this movie. I think it's kind of an interesting story. you mm-hmm. know. So I just checked it out from the library and watched it on my own, I think. And I really liked it. I've seen it maybe two or three times since then before our rewatch here. But I was also a, a four-star on Letterboxd. Okay. Now that you mention it, I do remember, I feel like at the time I, I saw that. I don't know how I got so much information about movies as a kid. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? What I think it was, was we were a Good Morning America family. So I think his name was Joel Siegel, was the yeah, the uh-huh. film guy for uh, Good Morning America. And he always did film reviews. And yeah. they, like, inst- back when those morning shows They did, had them in there. Did, like, film reviews yeah. and, like other things I remember this instead of just what's trending on Twitter yeah so I remember him talking about it and then he would do Oscar stuff and whatever so I remember like Martin Landau specifically him talking about that also this was 94 so that was I apparently paid a ton of attention to the Oscars that year that was the Pulp Fiction um, Mm -hmm. Forrest Gump year but yeah so it's weird how like when I finally saw this movie I feel like I was like I feel like I've seen so many of these scenes yeah I don't know why we were a CBS this morning what and the reason nobody was a CBS I know family. My family was. We were the odd ones. But I didn't even know CBS had a show. It had uh, Harry Smith and Paula Zahn. Oh, Paula Zahn. I know that. Name. Paula Zahn. All right. Yeah. And um, and C- okay. So maybe you weren't. Maybe nobody did watch CBS this morning. But I am almost positive, and I could be wrong. People can fact check me on this. But I think Gene Siskel, his TV spot was CBS oh, yeah. this morning. I think it was. And so I always have this memory, even if I didn't catch the the Siskel and Ebert section. I did catch Siskel's segment on uh, CBS this morning. But yeah, I you know, now that you mentioned it, I kind of miss that from those morning shows where you would just have a critic come on and say this is what you should see this weekend, you know. Right. I don't know what they do. I don't watch those shows. They don't do that. That's too bad. Times were different. Yep. And people trusted each other. Yep. And they laughed. They don't do that anymore. Anyway, so we've we've rewatched the film as is our tradition. Mhm. Not just for spooktaculars, for all episodes. Gosh, no. That's uh, something we do for every yes, episode. we wouldn't have a show if we didn't do it. No. So, on the rewatch, yeah. who's going first? You, uh, well, when you want. Uh, I'll go first. My gut says it's, a, it's, it's dropped to a three for me. Okay. 
I was either going to keep it at four or drop it to three and a half. I wasn't willing to go three, though. I think it's better than average. Okay. And then again, this could even just be the moment I watched it this time. I don't even know if I'm going to blame it on the film necessarily. Okay. Um, where I just wasn't feeling it as much as I had in the past when I watched it. That might be true for me, too. All right. Well, let's let's make sure we kind of frame it all within that okay. context. Okay. You know, And if we think it's just that we were in a bad mood or whatever, then uh, we can be honest about that. Okay. But why don't we, I guess, start with... Uh, oftentimes we start with what we liked about the movie. Well, maybe we should do that because I guess I feel like more than anything, I was underwhelmed, not necessarily that I'm like actively disliking things about it. Well, I, I think that for this movie, it might help to just think about what it was doing when it came out. I, I, yeah, I wanted to ask you what you thought about that. Because it was, I think, this period of Burton where you just have someone who's thinking differently and making Hollywood movies that are just outside the bubble. I still consider it part of that lump of Burton that I love, which is Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, pieces of the Batman movies that he was able to put into himself into, mm-hmm. um, and then Ed Wood. And this might actually just kind of be the end. There's other appeal factors to this as well. There's just something I love about movies that really relish and have a sort of nostalgic fondness for that period's B-moviness. And I would even put like, you know, Mystery Science Theater is something that I have always <sighs> loved. I still love it. Yeah. And even though that's all they do is make fun of these movies, they're, they're doing it from a place that says, this is culture that is valuable to some degree. And I would even put like, you know, like the B-52s, like there's just a certain like campy, kitschy culture thing that is always going to be an appeal factor to me. And that does not automatically appeal to me. But one thing that comes... The mind is just what a unique time. Like we'll never be back at that time. We Mm -hmm. maybe were close to that time um, when the internet first came out and people were in YouTube and people were able to sort of do like whatever they wanted. And I think that affected comedy more than anything else Mm -hmm. where you could find famous people, but also unknown people doing just like, there's no way you could get money to do this, but since it costs them no money to do it and it costs them no money to pre- present it, um, you've got Will Ferrell with like Pearl the Landlord. That's a concept that doesn't need to be filled out to like a full yeah. thing. Like you don't need to have it part of a TV show. You can just put this video out there. Um, and that was sort of what the landscape was like in Hollywood with feature movies. It was like, if you can get this done in this amount of time for this amount of money, then make whatever you want because it's not going out to 2000 theaters. We've got theaters in Oklahoma that are going to show it. And people in Oklahoma were going to go see whatever the theater was showing that the drive-in and they might even only pay a little bit of attention to it. Right. So it was just a completely different time where they did want to make money, but they didn't have as much control or as broad of a net to cast in showing movies and theaters. So they could take a risk and say like, all right, fine. If you can do it for this amount of money, we really don't care. We just want something that we can ship out. Yeah. I think the comparison to YouTube is pretty interesting actually, because, you know, there is sort of this lo-fi aesthetic that is just bizarre. And that's how I think even within YouTube culture, you get, you know, eventually what would end up being like Tim and Eric, you right. know, and like they're sort of embracing this lo-fi aesthetic as mm-hmm. being funny in its bizarreness. It's yeah. funny because it's so bizarre. Or Eric Andre. And what's what's what I think is really fascinating about Ed Wood as a movie is that Tim Burton is 
really early on, actually, understanding the comedy and the feeling you can get from that bizarre lo-fi aesthetic mm-hmm. and making a movie that is not that, actually, the movie. But it's got the but feel of it. But it has a feel really. of it. But it's, it's a pretty movie to look at. The acting is good. I mean, the level of acting to where it, you've got people who have to play the character and then have to be the bad actor in the movie, yeah. you know? <laughs> Which is so, always like impressive when yeah. people can do that well. So, so going back to just sort of what is good about the movie, I just think for the time, 94, Tim Burton was onto something. Even you could, you could talk, I mean, you mentioned Pulp Fiction being 94 with Quentin Tarantino, and he was bringing back some of that right. sort of kitsch aesthetic into his stuff. Mm-hmm. But not to the same effect, you know. You know, he was kind of like injecting pieces of it into yeah, a highly stylized thing, hog, yeah. Which he did do later with Death Proof, right? And made it look like you know messed up the film and had yeah. like scene missing and like yeah, really wanted to recreate that experience, which is what Tim Burton is trying to do here, like um, opening it with the theremin and the the thunderstorm and Criswell coming out of the the coffin right. and talking to the audience and. Opening credits on tombstones. Yeah. yeah. And he and I think Tim Burton, that's another thing I really like about this movie, is I think he gets the feeling right. We were talking about how this is kind of an odd choice for a holiday spooktacular, but when that opening credits started and the guy in right. Criswell comes out of the coffin, I was like, this reminds me of watching whatever was on TV on Halloween when I was a kid. It wasn't Vampira, but it was Elvira. Yeah. And it was like Tales from the Crypt, and it was like Alfred Hitchcock Presents and old ver- old episodes of The Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Like he does a really good job of evoking your sort of childhood television understanding of what Halloween is. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Can your heart stand the shocking facts of the true story of Edward D. Wood Jr.? Yeah, it, it's interesting that it's a Hollywood like movie movie, but it's so rooted in TV too. Well, because I think in Hollywood, those types of movies were sort of at that point in the fifties relegated to B movie type, you know, stuff. But that was also the same production value that was in television at the time. Well, and you know? it was about scraping by and being scrappy, like exactly Ed Wood being able to make a, uh, to pull a script together just from stock footage. Yeah. And it's a bunch of outsiders. You know, a lot of what was on television were people who didn't make it in Hollywood. Right. (laughs) And couldn't afford the main movie. So what can we afford? We can afford stock footage to make this movie. Well, then that's the movie that Vampira (laughs) can afford to show. And she even says, like, and a bunch of other, like, when she's talking about who stars in a movie, she's like, a bunch of other people I've never heard of. And um, this, I mean, not to get too lofty with it, but this movie is sort of also like a memorial to those actors, to mm-hmm. the people who yeah. worked every worked their whole lives acting and making no money and getting no recognition. Yeah. I think you're hitting on what I think, big picture wise, what I really love about this movie and still love is that it is an ode. When it very easily at that time, I think a lot of yeah. other directors would have just made it a, a, a mocking of yeah. those people and a spoof a satire, a spoof of this time, because for someone who doesn't have the right sort of instinct with that stuff, it's easy to laugh at. And that's the end of the sentence, you know, like it's just easy to laugh at, but I feel like Tim Burton really does come at this with an affection and love that is a testament to kind of who he is as a person, like that, that he's someone who 
is not going to make a mean-spirited movie about this. You yeah. know? And these are outsiders. I mean, not only is Ed Wood obviously career-wise an outsider, someone who did not make successful movies, but then it's like you dig into the characters themselves and they're a bunch of misfits. Even if they were talented, who would have hired exactly. them? Exactly. And I mean, there is some humor to be found, like that the, the movie is mining out of his cross-dressing. But it's, for 1994 especially, it's pretty respectful of it. Mm -hmm. When he's talking to somebody about it, he's cheerful. I have never told anyone what I'm about to tell you. But I really want this job. I like to dress in women's clothing. You a fruit? No, not at all. I love women. Wearing their clothes makes me feel closer to them. You're not a fruit. No, I'm all man. I even fought in WW2. Of course, I was wearing women's undergarments under my uniform. You gotta be kidding me. Confidentially, I even paratrooped wearing a brassiere and panties. I'll tell you, I wasn't scared of being killed, but I was terrified of getting wounded and having the medics discover my secret. So you think this qualifies you to make my movie? Yes. I know what it's like to live with a secret and worry about what people are going to think of you. I was prepared to sort of like cringe at it, but yeah, I had forgotten that it's pretty celebratory to yeah. a degree. And I and I was prepared to cringe at it too. And I was prepared to cringe at uh, Bill Murray's character as someone who was just sort of like it was the punchline was that he was gay. Yeah, and I think that there is some there is there is a level of like it's kind of funny to see Bill Murray act effeminate. Yeah, you know, but. I mean, to me, the funniest part in that movie that he does has nothing to do with him being gay. It's when he's baptized mm -hmm. and just the way that he like kind of struggles through the, through the water. Yeah. It's a, the, physica, <laughs> the physical, the physical humor of that is very funny, you know, and how he dips his toe into the water, but he's wearing a shoe. Yeah. Um, oh, um, kind of back to what you were saying about um, Tim Burton and his handling of this and, and his approach this might be the closest to an autobiographical movie that we're going to get mm. from Tim Burton. <laughs> I think this is the movie Tim Burton was born to make. Mm. I don't want to, you know, psychoanalyze him or project anything on him, but he has never been the norm, even though he was maybe like very popular because of the Batman movies. And that's a sign. Like the fact that he got a second Batman movie is like, Oh, you're in, you're in it now. You're in the studio now. Studio system. I can see him feeling like a novelty and like an outsider and kind of maybe waiting for that shoe to drop where like, are you just gonna, are you going to push me out too? You know? Yeah. yeah. And so there's a, an affection for Ed Wood and for the outsiders and for the misfits that comes through that feels really personal, almost in the way that, um, while Glenn or Glenda wasn't about Ed Wood, Ed Wood was like, I'm the man to make this movie. Like, Tim Burton's the man to make this movie. The thing he's appreciating about Ed Wood as a character is his enthusiasm and his just love of cinema and his belief in the magic of yeah. cinema and his belief in the idea of a star and, like, the history of Hollywood. And for somebody who was a relatively, like, young, kind of, like, groundbreaking, like, filmmaker that nobody would seen this sort of thing from before he's so appreciative of the history while it may not be the one that bears the highest number of like hallmarks of tim burton it's probably his most tim burtony movie he would ever make yeah i mean i could see that i mean 
And I would actually say, you know, of the movies that are made about movies, I would still say this is one of my favorites. Yeah. The fact that even in Ed Wood, it, <laughs> it calls back to Orson Welles and Orson Welles' story yeah. of being someone who was seen as this auteur that made amazing films. And then basically the studio system just hacked up his later movies and eventually just pushed him out altogether. Um, yeah, that's really interesting to have Orson Welles as a character kind of at the peak of Orson Welles' fame with the knowledge of what Orson Welles became yeah. later. Right. And also not only his fame, but he in that in Ed Wood is dealing with what you do with that fame because you are being asked to compromise so much. What you working on? Well, the financing just fell through for the third time on Don Quixote. Do you know I can't believe it? That sounds just exactly like my problems. It's the damn money, men. You never know who's a windbag and who's got the goods. And then they all think they're directors. Ain't that the truth? Do you know that I've even had producers recut my movies? I hate when that happens. And they're always trying to cast their buddies. It doesn't even matter if they're right for the part. Tell me about it. I'm supposed to do a thriller at Universal. But they want Charlton Heston to play a Mexican. Ah, <sighs> Mr. Wells. Is it all worth it? It is when it works. You know, the one film of mine where I had total control, Kane. The studio hated it, but they didn't get to touch a frame. Ed. Yes? Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? If you do see this as somewhat autobiographical of Tim Burton, it's kind of him wrestling with this idea of like, I am someone with a unique vision in this town. This is what this town does with people with unique visions. You know, right. They'll let you make your movie as long as it makes them money. And if it doesn't make them money, then you're either pushed out entirely or you're relegated to play by their rules, which in a way is kind of what's what happened, happened to Tim Burton because yep. this movie, he was able to make exactly how he wanted. And the reason he was make, able to make it the way he wanted was because he had a string of successes. Batman was a hit. This actually came out right after Nightmare Before Christmas, which was a surprise hit. Which he didn't direct, but... He produced. He produced. But he was in the moment a hot director. Yeah. And then this movie didn't do very well. So it's really interesting to see this movie being sort of like, even at the moment, you know, as narcissistic as that might be, like seeing himself as kind of an Orson Welles character. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It almost feels like an apology for like, Hey, whatever happens next, <laughs> this is just the way it happens in yeah. this town, you know? Yeah. I had a thought that this is kind of moving off of the Tim Burton sort of yeah. uh, thing. So watching Johnny Depp in this, whether or not it's a performance anybody felt like they had seen from him at the time, I was just wondering, given who Johnny Depp is now and what you've seen him in in the subsequent years, can you imagine Johnny Depp acting like that anymore? No, well, with that level of optimism in the character, and like energy, yeah, even, yeah, yeah. He, I feel like now all of his all of his roles, he's he sort of feels like he needs to have at least a little bit of a swagger, and if he yeah. doesn't have that. It's not a role for him. And I'm, you know, I'm not just talking about Jack Sparrow, although that is the only one that really comes to mind. Well, yeah, it felt like that was a pretty big turning point for him. I don't know. I just, as I was watching it, and it, to the degree that it almost pulled me out of the experience, was like, man, this Johnny Depp was so versatile. Yeah. He could commit so mm -hmm. fully. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels like in everything he's doing, he's like... He's just, he's Johnny Depp. So there's like a winking, I know I'm being funny, sort of cheeky, sort of, I'm Johnny Depp, 
thing that just isn't there in, in Ed Wood. Well, it's about how people have two personalities. The side they show to the world and then the secret person they hide inside. Like Jekyll and Hyde. I've always wanted to play Jekyll and Hyde. I'm looking forward to this production. <laughs> well, your part's a little different. You're like the god that looks over all the characters and oversees everything. I don't understand. You control everyone's fate. You're like the puppet master. Ah, so I pull the strings. Yes, you pull the strings. <laughs> pull the strings. I like that. Now, we're talking about acting in Ed Wood, and we haven't even mentioned The guy Martin who won Landa, the Oscar, yeah. Who is probably better at being Bela Lugosi than Bela Lugosi was. Because you watch Martin Landau like yelling, pull the string, yeah. like acting, and I'm like, this is really good. Uh-huh. Like, if any of Edward's movies had anything this good in it. <laughs> yeah. What makes his performance so amazing is when I watch Ed Wood, like, he's just Bela Lugosi. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's also a testament to the makeup. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even thinking, which you usually do for an Oscar performance, I'm not even thinking, wow, Martin Landau's doing an amazing job. Right. I'm just thinking, that's Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi that's right. him, you know? And how I, I can't even, even the ones who really do immerse themselves in it, like people who play actual people, like yeah. for biopic type stuff, mm-hmm. like who else gets to that level? Right. Where you're not even thinking about, wow, what an amazing performance. Mm-hmm. You're just... You've, you've forgotten that even. Right. You know? Not only is he incredible, I feel like the movie kind of comes to life once his character is in there. Yeah. And that, for me, is where my main interest is. He's gotten way more tragedy. Um, there's something about Edward's optimism that sort of is like anything, any setback just doesn't really land as heavily. But like the phone calls from Bella are where it's like, ooh, this is like the vital stuff here. Bella, what happened? I didn't feel well. Come on, let me get you to the hospital. No hospital. Just take me to the couch. Should I call a doctor? No. This happens all the time. It's what gives the movie any weight that it has. And it's a relatively light film, but there are moments with Bella that just kind of... It, 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 and again, I think that might be what makes the movie a little bit of a cut above, where it's not just a hammy, fun look at Ed Wood yeah. and his career. It's sort of a reminder that this career had a lot of really tragic and, and kind of depraved things going on around it. And it adds a level of complexity where... You could see Ed Wood being painted as um, a real hero and a completely optimistic, good person. Mm-hmm. And that relationship is one in which I don't think Ed Wood's heart is necessarily in the wrong place, but he's also kind of using this person yeah. um, to get what he needs out of it. And that's really, in the movie, it's kind of one of the few examples you see of his selfishness. Yeah, it's basically it's emotional core. But I don't know if the movie knows that. <laughs> because... <laughs> I mean, obviously it has to continue after Bella's gone, but I just feel I, I kind of lose a little bit of interest, even like with the Orson Welles meeting and like the filming of Plan 9 from Outer Space. I just didn't feel as invested without Martin Landau and Bella Lugosi there. Mm-hmm. Well, that might be my biggest thing with the whole movie is I feel like not only are you right that when Bella leaves, the interest starts to dwindle a little bit, 
but also I just don't even know that the movie knows how to wrap things up. Right. Like I'll give it credit that it's not a typical biopic. You don't start with like Edward's childhood and you don't end with like his death, which they certainly could have done. It was a tragic death and that would have made for good movie making, you know, but it knew better to just kind of stick with this little story about him making these movies sort of before he started going into just making like complete smut basically and dying of alcoholism. Right. But I feel like the movie just kind of fizzles at the end, and that might be where my enthusiasm for it yeah. drops every time I watch it. Oh, jeez, honey, I'm so happy for you. Teddy, let's get around. Huh? Right now, let's go to Vegas. But, Eddie, it's pouring and the car tub is stuck. Boy, it's only a five-hour drive, and it'll probably stop by the time we get to the desert. Heck, it'll probably stop by the time we get around the corner. Let's go. They just kind of drive off, but that doesn't seem like a climactic moment Mm-mm. because that relationship you were never that all that Mm-mm. into. You didn't care about that relationship all that much. I kind of care know. more about what happened to Dolores because she was such a <laughs> yeah. strong character and such a a person that you have a, a lot of respect for. And it doesn't help that some of the postscripts for the people are like underwhelming themselves. Like <laughs> Empire unsuccessfully sued Elvira. All right. <laughs> I mean, what you know, that's the thing is, is, what do you say? These are people that you've spent enough time in the movie with that you are curious. Sure. But your curiosity is almost tempered by the fact that, well, yeah, they, they guess they didn't really go on to do a whole lot. Right. And maybe that's kind of the point. You know? Maybe. It's, it's always foolish to kind of say, this movie should have done this, and I'm yeah. mad that it didn't do this. But it, it seemed like a movie that was interested in getting at least a little bit into the the mentality and the mindset of you know someone like Ed Wood, like what is it that makes them go? What is it that makes them tick? And I just think that a final scene, like something that would have just gone back to him as a character, instead of just ending with this weird like him and a girl running off and getting married, and that just didn't seem accurate to anything in the movie. Like I don't know if this would have been, and again, we can't talk about a movie that wasn't made, but. And if this would have been too cheesy, but ending with the actual last footage that Bella shot. Mm, yeah. Or even just ending with the footage of Bella, like picking a flower and smelling it and like the, of Martin Landau doing it, you know, I feel like that's a really like poignant scene. And, uh, the arc of Ed and other characters could have kind of gotten back to that point. So it would have felt natural to show that again. Yeah. With the level of admiration that, Ed Wood seemed to have, or at least Johnny Depp's character of Ed Wood seemed to have, of just like he 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 was like blown away by just stock footage, right? So you could have had like he just uh, loved mo- moving just pictures, lo- yeah. So just having a scene of maybe him on his own alone rewatching that scene of Bella, which is kind of we would somewhat like redeem it, or it would be an interesting way to end it. This thing that was like wedged into a movie, and now you're ending your movie with it, yeah. Like and and you're actually able to make it a poignant, yeah, thing yeah. Elevate it a little to bit to say yeah. like one of the things that was Edward's minor strengths was being able to take footage that's out of place and putting it into a story and like doing that with that footage would have been special, yeah. Um, so I think what you're saying is we're going to recut Ed Wood. We might. So we talked about it at the end of the episode. Coming back to this question, and I'm wrestling with it. What do you think is the last great or good Tim Burton movie? Well, I'm going to pull up the... The old list? The old list, because maybe I'm forgetting something. Um, Uh, Let me tell you, I don't think you are. 
It's hard to say because Beetlejuice 2 has been announced. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me, you see Tim Burton's working on Beetlejuice 2. (laughs) Right. Initial feelings. Initial feelings are, I hope he rewatches his old stuff and finds whatever it was, that creative spark that caused the great Tim Burton to make these amazing, quirky movies that are super memorable. But what I'm thinking is more likely going to happen is he's going to apply his later aesthetic to Beetlejuice and ruin everything forever. So, So just one or the other, optimistic or pessimistic? Um, you know, I, I am pessimistic, hoping to be surprised. (laughs) Okay. So I'm cautiously pessimistic. Yes. I'm still, there's still time Mm -hmm. for Tim Burton to be redeemed. Sure. Definitely. Okay. Looking over the list, last movie that I would say was, I really loved this Tim Burton movie, uh, was probably 2003 with big fish. A lot of people don't like that movie. I still like it. And that was in a moment where, to me, Big Fish was, was Tim Burton trying something new. Yep. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is like a different side of Tim Burton. He's kind of you know branching out of the gothic thing a little bit. There's some brighter colors in this thing. Mm-hmm. And then he immediately followed that up with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which yeah. was I just thought it was awful. And yeah, nothing, nothing since, really. I mean, we both... Kind of, we we both liked Sweeney Todd, but not enough to say that it was not great. Great, no. I'm in a weird sort of position where I would say Big Fish is probably his last good movie, but I don't really like it. I don't really feel like watching it again. I thought Corpse Bride was good. Yeah, but it was kind of forgettable. Right. I don't remember what the plot is. Yeah, probably Big Fish, even though I don't really like it, which is too bad. Because then for me, it would go. Well, Ed yeah. Wood. If I don't say if I don't say Big Fish, then I say Ed Wood's is the last good movie. Yeah, because um, yeah, because you never saw Mars Attacks. I didn't. I saw Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, and that was one that I I liked. Okay, it has the 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 folk legend going for it. Right. That's like it's not just that it's a Tim Burton movie; it's the story of Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's maybe more the selling legend point. you could even say. Yeah. Did you mention Big Eyes? Oh, I saw Big Eyes. And you didn't like it. I did not like it at all. I didn't even see it. I was like, okay, Tim Burton's making a movie that's uh, kind of straight. It's not doing his, uh, it's not It's not going to be cgi like crazy. Yeah. And that's part of the problem, Johnny too. Johnny Depp's not in it. Yeah. Christoph Waltz. Yeah. Amy Adams. I'm like, this could be good. That was a good thing. It was not good. There was just nothing to it. Something that I loved about watching early Tim Burton, and I think it's what really got me into him as a kid, was because of that practicality to the special effects and because of these worlds that he would create, they made going to his movies really fun. There could have been like all sorts of weird flaws in the script or someone who was casted weird. Didn't matter because it just had this world to it that you were just like, this is just something cool about this. Something really awesome about just living in this world that he's created for two hours yeah and you get that with ed wood even a little bit i think because of the feeling he's giving you about hollywood it's his version of hollywood even big fish he still was doing that world creating and he was creating these movies that were just they were tim burton movies they were movies that had a lot of character to them and once the cgi entered in it was just the character was just flat Mm -hmm. it's so much more 
compelling to see practical effects, even if it's not doing as crazy stuff as mm-hmm. CGI. That like the fact that they created those topiaries in Edward Scissorhands and the camera's like moving around them to say like, how did they do that? And there's like a big story to that. Like, oh, they had problems with this, so they had to do this or whatever. Like that's so much more fascinating mm-hmm. than computers. Yeah. Even though you can show us anything and you yep. can show it as realistically as possible, it's never as compelling as just like, wow, they did stop motion mm-hmm. to make that happen. And with practical effects, there is there's a certain type of artifice that's there that just is sort of like the cozy reminder mm-hmm. that you're watching a movie. The analog, like the, yeah. the comfort of analog. David Fincher, speaking of filmmaking, said... That everybody knows you can do anything. So it's what you don't do that makes a difference. And he uses CGI. Some of the advancements in CGI have been developed for David Fincher movies. He got his start in visual effects. Like, he's not somebody who shies away from that. But it's what he doesn't do with CGI that's uh, so important. And so he'll he'll do shots like the overhead car shots in um, Zodiac that are clearly CGI. But are just a really interesting way to kind of do what he's doing and show the movement and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Or to make the Winklevoss twins, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. in social mm-hmm. network. And and he'll do it to do something that you couldn't possibly do without it and do it in a really purposeful way to kind of keep that magic of how did they do that? Yeah. Um, and even even when the answer is computers, it's like, Okay, but still, how did they cool. do that? Yeah. Like, yeah. like the Winklevoss twins, it's like, oh, they did computers. But it's like two different guys played him. They just put the other guy's face on him. And you're like, how'd that work? Why did it work so well that I have no idea that that was what was happening? Like, Yeah. Those are also, ultimately, for the movie, those are to smaller purposes. Yeah. They're not to make the movie look bigger. You know, like, when you when you think of Alice in Wonderland or Charlie and Chuck Factory, I'm, I'm assuming Dumbo, though I haven't seen it. The CGI that's just splooged all over the place to me is like just basically like how big can we make this movie look? Yeah, which is kind of sad because Edward is so analog and such a such it's a celebration to, of it. Yeah. yeah, I genuinely wonder what happened to that Tim Burton, the one that loved the ethos of Edward. Maybe it's just tiring. Maybe <laughs> we're not even saying. I mean, maybe people are hearing it this way, but I don't think we're saying practical effects equals good, CGI equals bad. We could name you a ton of movies that we love that use a lot of CGI. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just mentioned all the Fincher stuff as well. Um, It just seems like you should do what services the movie. And I feel like he's making these movies that it doesn't even service them. When I think Alice in Wonderland, I'm not thinking like CGI hugeness. I'm thinking like trippy weirdness. And I think practical effects are actually the better choice for that. You know, Dumbo, when I saw the preview for that, yeah, it had that like digital like mastering yeah. look to it. Yeah. It's not just CGI in the sense of like we need to make this elephant talk, so let's do it through computers. I mean, it I don't looks have a problem like, with it that. It looks like the you know? whole like that they that every that, I, I imagine the whole thing was filmed in front of a green screen, right? That like there's no crowd at the circus, yeah. And, like stuff that you could actually just easily film. It, it just becomes easy yeah, and cheaper, more convenient. Probably cheaper. Yeah. Nowadays, I don't know. That's speculation. Well, all right. So this turned sad. <laughs> well, you asked. The celebration <laughs> of Ed Wood. So going back to Ed Wood, we kind of talked about what we liked about it. Uh-huh. Um, we talked about 
maybe how the ending was stuff, something that made the movie seem like it's uh, as you watch it, it, it kind of it, its impact diminishes a little bit. It seems like the more you watch it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, though, are there other things that that you think might contribute to why the movie doesn't hold up for you? Maybe as well, the more you watch it. There's something I I don't know if I've articulated it at all, or if I could even put my finger on it, but there's just something about Ed Wood as a character that I'm not all that invested in. As much as what I think we've said about it is true, that it's a real like celebration of him, it has a real um, admiration for him, I just don't think it translates into a character that I'm really rooting for all that much, mm. because he really does make bad movies. Do you buy into the whole so bad it's good thing? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I can. I mean, but I think we're talking about two different things. Maybe. You're saying good as in like, it's so bad that it eventually actually becomes a quality good movie. And I don't necessarily say that. What I say is there is a certain type of bad that makes it a very enjoyable movie on a level that the creator did not intend. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you don't know what I mean because you don't agree I with don't, me. No, I don't, but, I don't like that. I, I mean, I, I don't dislike the idea. I've just never been, I've never. And I, and it, and it, for me, it goes back even to just, I, I can't, it's hard to explain other than that I I know it to be true in me because it's happened. Like I me and my buddies would we would go to the movie store and we would get the bad horror movies, like the Ice Cream Man and these oh, I forget some of the other ones. I mean, even like Leprechaun, mm-hmm. these movies that whoever made them, you know, they meant for them to be scary, I guess, but you'd watch it and they just made us laugh. You know, the good was in the experience of watching it. Is it a good movie? You know, no, it's not. That's the to me like that's that's what becomes the point of the movie. And I was going to ask you, and I can't believe I, it took us this long to do it. Have you actually ever seen an Edward movie? No. Okay, so I've seen Glenn or Glenda, and I've seen Plan Nine from Outer Space. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about Ed Wood is once you know that he was selected as the worst director of all time, you have that knowledge, and you watch it, and you're like, not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like. Uh, my wife, uh, she actually kind of liked Glenn or Glenda. Yeah. And I think this is kind of what Tim Burton saw in, in Ed Wood too, is that you could make these terrible movies, but for whatever reason, they were memorable. And so that takes some skill. That's a long answer to your question. Yeah. I think we've talked about this. It hasn't been on the podcast. We've talked about it. Well, this is the before. right time to talk about it though. Yeah. You know, it could just entirely be able to be chalked up to the fact that I just don't enjoy things I'm bad at like, enjoying <laughs> life that i take things too seriously oh uh, well but you know what you we had this experience we saw the expendables together and yeah. eventually we just had to laugh at that's it that's true you know i i wouldn't even put that into the camp of like it's so bad it's good no, it's just a bad movie it's just a bad movie did we have a good time watching it I wasn't bad did, yeah yeah maybe it's just me taking things too seriously and i need to figure out how to lighten up i i mean i don't know I don't. Yeah, I don't think you, this. You don't need to change your feeling on it. I wouldn't say this is something you need to curate in yourself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I don't even know how you could at you this know, point. Like I'm not saying here's my top five so good they're bad movies. Go so home. So bad they're good. So or so bad they're good. Yeah. Go home. Watch these. If you're not a convert after watching these, I don't know uh, what yeah, to tell what you. To do. You know, especially because I would probably just be watching them alone. <laughs> well, that and doesn't that's not work fun. either. That yeah, exactly. That does not work. But I can see why you're not buying into the Edward character because he's just making bad movies. Right. You know? Does that feel conclusive? I think so yeah. I, uh, well, well, we can't conclude just yet. 
No. Because we do need to bring up that in our last episode previewing this movie, we had a running gag. Let me tell you something that IMDb trivia doesn't talk about. Doesn't, yeah. We uh so what's his name? Jeffrey Jones Jeffrey is Jones. the actor's name who plays Criswell and we 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 just talked tongue in cheek about how much Hey, there's nothing I can do about this. I'm on <clears throat> tape saying Jeffrey Jones, love that guy. Yeah, you did say that. I loved him as principal of Ferris Bueller's Day That's Off. Pretty much yeah, you were you were talking about that one specific performance. Yes. And again, as as we've done in the past, part of the joke was we forgot about this person and we forgot about this concept, so we act like it was we were big yeah. fans. Uh <laughs> then we, we got word that um uh, from a loyal listener. Yeah. And who brought to our attention that uh Yeah, we don't need to get too into this. No, but Jeffrey Jones is a sex offender. Right. And we were we were not aware of that. Um I didn't even Not at all. Not at all. Again, IMDB trivia <laughs> didn't cover that. Leaves that out. So we don't know how aware of that everybody else was. This one listener was the only person to bring that to our yeah. attention. So and very quickly. <laughs> right. Um, so we just need to make it clear that when we say we love Jeffrey Jones, really, I don't know Jeffrey Jones. We, have, we had forgotten who he was. We forgot that was that he the was joke. in the movie. Yeah. And so, yes, we were not making light of what yeah. he had done. We need to make that very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how about how about we go to what IMB, IMDb trivia did tell us, and maybe this is going to be a running thing. Maybe we, we do right, this right. every every episode. But uh, most irrelevant uh, IMDb. IMDb trivia. Okay, I like for this. Ed Wood. I like this. Uh, the one that I the one that I'm going to pick for this is the one that says, and I quote: "In the scene where Ed is frantically typing a script and." begging Bunny Breckenridge on the phone to get him some transsexuals, he spends more time separating jammed type bars inside the machine than actually typing. This was a very common annoyance with aging portable typewriters. Do you know that? Hang on. Okay. However, this may also be due to the format of writing screenplays. End of trivia. Well, there's a lot of information. So there's in there, a lot yeah. of information and a lot of reasons I love that as terrible trivia. One, way too much information, right. very specific information, but also not conclusive at all, saying it was a common annoyance, but it also may be due to the format of writing screenplays. And not only is it not conclusive, I have no idea why the format of writing screenplays would make typewriter keys jam more frequently. Than other forms of writing? Right. Um, so that is for me the most irrelevant IMDb trivia <laughs> regarding Ed Wood. Um, I like it. That's a good choice. Thank you. Well, are you going to give me a chance to do a, an IMDb? Oh, trivia? you're going to pick your own? Okay. Well, I don't know. I thought I this really, was Ryan's IMDb. Oh, okay, okay. Tri- no, 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 no. I want to hear yours. I want to hear yours. I want to hear yours. It's okay. My piece of trivia has to do with the the, the screenplay as well. Oh, actually. interesting. So uh, it is that Scott Alexander and Larry Karachevsky, I think, is sure. how we say it. The screenwriters, yeah, wrote the screenplay in six weeks. Wow, that is that that. I a think long that's time? like an average. I, it feels like it feels if like you're a, a professional very like, screenwriter. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty standard. That doesn't seem underwhelming or overwhelming or trivial or trivial. <laughs> <laughs> it's like outside trivial. It's not even. It's, that's like conversation. It's like, hey, how long did it take you to write Ed Wood? They say like six, six weeks. weeks. Oh, that sounds about right. Yeah, every day working on it. Eh, off yeah, and on. Yeah. Okay. Took a few breaks, worked on some other scripts. Took about six weeks. Yeah. 
cool. It's your job, right? Yeah. Yep. I like this segment. This okay. is fun. Good. All right. <laughs> star rating, though. Let's go back star to that. Star rating. Oh, I mean, are we best buds? Because I feel like you kind of like this movie less than I do. Well, I think I do. But I feel like you're right, that this is not three stars. So I think, I'm, I, I think I've got to go three and a half on yeah. this one. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that uh, even though I don't think that we're coming at it the right way, and I don't know that we are best buds, I, I think I'm going to also do three and a half. It's a weird thing. It, it feels like, like same star rating, but we don't, we don't see eye to eye. Right. I don't think our criteria for that three and a half is the same. I mean, it's. I don't think it's like tense or anything right now. No. I don't think it's. A, it's not necessarily. Con- well, you're kind of giving me a look now. No, it's fine. All right. Neutral understanding. I, I think Mutual is understanding. Where we are. Is, yeah, it's not complicated. No, we're not. We're not at odds here. Yeah. When you get in this three, three and a half range. Yeah. It's a very muddy area. Is, yeah. In the spirit of the season, we will say that this is a mutual understanding. All right. And I, I respect the way you celebrate the holidays. Mm-hmm. And you uh, celebrate in your way. Right. Um, I think that's fine. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up another. Yeah. Holiday spooktacular. spooktacular. Yeah. We didn't even talk about our costumes. No. We did a theme costume this year. Nate and I are. Simon and Garfunkel? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so we both came as Simon. This... <laughs> you know, that's the problem. We that's didn't really true. work out who the was going to be. was Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> and we both, we both showed up as, as Paul Simon. Simon. Yeah. So that's a little embarrassing, but. Uh... But we're different eras. That's true. I'm Bridge Over Troubled Waters, yeah. Paul Simon. And you're, here comes Ryman Simon, yeah. Paul Simon. Well, the funny thing is I, I don't That's really know that much about Paul Simon. So uh, oh. so, so I just kind of did you a just, Google image search. And so, yeah, what was it again? Because I, I don't really know. Ryman Simon. Ryman Simon. Yeah, that's my era. Yeah. Maybe next year we'll do the Garfunkel. Yeah, that could be. Do, uh, we could both be yeah. Garfunkel. Yeah. I'll be... I'll be You'll be Bridge I'll Over be, Trouble Water Garfunkel. And you'll be... Like, actor. Actor, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, so like so, carnal knowledge uh, art right, Garfunkel right, for right, you. Right, bad timing, yeah. And I'll be... Uh, I might go uh, I might go uh, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, mm, and yeah. Time mm-hmm. Garfunkel. Yeah. I think I already have those clothes. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you know, <clears throat> send us uh, pictures of your Paul Simon yeah, costume. Yeah. <laughs> We'd love That's to see the, it. The hot, the hot costume this year. All right. Well, uh, with that, with that said, and uh, you know, I, we don't need to change out of these clothes. We'll keep no. them on. But let's talk about uh, our next uh, episode of Can We Still Be Friends? Mm-hmm. Well, for our next episode, we're looking uh, to the month of November, and uh, instead of doing an anniversary or anything like that, we're doing a, a tie-in to a November release, and uh, the movie's called "What Won't You Be My Neighbor?" Is that what it's called? The Mister Rogers yeah. movie. Won't you be my neighbor? Now, being, now being an avid Mister Rogers enthusiast. Yes. Are, are you looking forward to this? Now, let me say, everybody loved the, the documentary. I cried. Did okay. you see it? I did. I think I maybe got a little choked up. I've been on the Mr. Rogers uh, train for, for a bit. You Trolley, have, yeah. I should say. You probably. were into Mr. Rogers before it was cool to be in. Well, Mr. no, Rogers. here's the thing. I, I don't even, I'm not even saying that. But thank you. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> as far as him being like the best person who has lived in our lifetimes... Mm-hmm. I've been there for a long time and I knew all that stuff that he said that was so inspiring and so remarkable and I had read that Esquire article that the movie is based on years ago I mean that came out in the 90s too it's like that, the, the information was out there folks 
And so when the documentary came out and everybody was like, oh my gosh, Mr. Rogers. I was like, yeah, I know. Like, where have you been? And I guess I should just be grateful that everybody's like down with Mr. Rogers now. And I am. All that being said, I was skeptical of the movie because I don't need another Mr. Rogers. I have Mr. Rogers. And I saw the trailer on my phone and was like, I don't know if, I don't know if this is right. And then I saw the trailer in the movie theater and I choked up. So was it, was it seeing Mr. Hanks as, uh, he did something about seeing it like, and really paying attention to it on the big screen made me think like he's going to do, he seems to be doing a really good job with it. I have more hope for it than I did. Okay. With all that said though, won't you be my neighbor is the documentary's name. That's not the name oh, of the movie. The movie is called beautiful, beautiful day, day in the, the neighborhood. neighborhood. So, okay. Just quick. Good I don't want, know. I don't want another, good to know. I don't want another Mr. Jones oh my gosh. issue going on here. Let's just get it right. And so the tie into the movie that we're going to be watching is that the success of the movie relies entirely on Tom Hanks ability to pull off the performance. Yes. Now Tom Hanks is sitting there listening to this saying, how many times do I have to show you that I will pull it off? Yeah, I, we've never talked to him. He has not reached out. But no, we, we are we, know. We, we have heard yeah. he's a fan of the podcast. Yeah. And he's not even speaking to us specifically. He is speaking to moviegoers. He is saying, When have I steered you wrong? When have I let you down? Yeah. And the answer is never. Right. So the movie that we've selected is another movie that without a pitch perfect performance yeah. from Thomas Hanks. The is movie, that his full name? The movie fails. Thomas? Tom ass hanks tom ass hanks yes (laughs) it it doesn't succeed and so this this movie it's i feel like seven hours is that is that right seven hours of just tom hanks right seven glorious hours sure it's not that's not that's not a knock against no throw on seven more and he did it he pulled it off right well from what we remember from what we remember we need to rewatch oh oh, question mark remain (laughs) so we're gonna watch castaway yeah and we remember we remember tom hanks Pulling, pulling the whole movie together, making us care about a volleyball. Right. Which the volleyball did its part. Oh, it's we, the greatest. We don't, we greatest, don't, don't greatest, forget about that. Greatest performance by sports equipment in a for decade. Sure. For sh- a- absolutely. I mean, maybe the basketballs and Hoosiers. It's maybe. hard to say. But certainly I'm not You've got the hockey pucks and slapstick. Yeah. And Mighty but Ducks. But that was, that but was yeah. a while. Knuckle puck time. Okay. D2. D2. You didn't puck. say D2. The knuckle puck in the, B2. But the original probably... knuckle puck, and I think this 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 <laughs> needs to be said, that was a street hockey puck. But the, the praise for Wilson the volleyball does, does nothing to take away from Tom right. Hanks' performance. Yeah, right. In Castaway. And so we, we said to, our, to each other, and then ourselves, as we reflected on what the other had said to us, I wonder if Castaway is still as good. What is it? Directed by Robert Zemeckis? Yeah. Robert Zemeckis, which we've never done a Zemeckis film, and I can't believe after what seventy-seven episodes, I don't think we haven't done a Tom Hanks Hanks movie. Which is another thing I know he's thinking. My fear is that he's just been listening, waiting for waiting for this. Yeah, and once he gets it, he's like, okay, another Everest conquered. (laughs) You know. So, watch Castaway with us. That's right. Find out what you think of Tom Hanks then compared to Tom Hanks as we will see him this month as Fred Rogers. And, um, man, Tom Hanks has, uh, that's a huge filmography, so there should be lots of feedback on this one. You know, man, yeah. is it, it, it's really hard to come up with a favorite Tom Hanks 
performance or movie. Oh, why would you? But do it anyways. Give us that feedback. There's a lot of ways you can do that. Yeah. Uh, one of which is commenting on our website, canwestillbefriends.net. There's a lot of stuff you can kind of dig around on that website while you're there. We've got some episode archives that you can go through and go yeah. through 77 episodes worth of stuff. Our email address to send us an email if you'd like for feedback, that uh, is feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. And we've got some social media outlets mm-hmm. that you can uh, plug yourself into those outlets and um, give us your voltage. I'm making an I'm yeah, making yeah, electricity. Yeah. You could have stopped, I think, the, the metaphor worked. I know, and yeah. then. And I took it too far. Not yeah, it's kind of short circuited. <laughs> mm-hmm. We've got Facebook. Can We Still Be Friends podcast. Uh, we've got Instagram. Can We Still Be Friends pod. Yeah. It's different. Drop the cast. Yeah. And uh, we've been dropping some goodies there. We have been. Little images. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what you do on behind Instagram. the scenes. Yeah. yeah. We're really revolutionizing <laughs> the format of Instagram. You're going to want to check out that Instagram. Pictures. Um, but yeah, you can reach out to us anywhere there. You can also uh, give us a phone call if you'd like. 847-306-9532. But we really want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. We want to hear uh, what your thoughts on today's holiday spooktacular. And uh, we're doing Castaway here in November. Will you be watching it with your family for Thanksgiving? I feel like that's a dynamite Thanksgiving movie. It could be. Any Tom Hanks is going to be a dynamite Thanksgiving movie. Green Mile? Any Tom <laughs> Hanks. Road to Perdition? Uh, it's going to be the month month of Hanks. Month, I like that. Can I, can I wait, say wait, wait. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving? I know. Why did it take Why? us that long to get there? Thanksgiving. Uh, that's another reason we're doing this movie. It's we should. It's, it's the month of thanks. It's the, it's the month of thanks. Thanksgiving. We give thanks for thanks. That's right. And it's our tagline for next next yeah, episode. That's right. Watch Castaway so you can give thanks for thanks. Watch mm-hmm. Castaway.